This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Mom and Mind, a podcast about maternal mental health, discussing conception, pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. Real stories from moms and family members who have made it from struggling to wellness, and interviews with experts and advocates who work for moms and families to get the help they need. This podcast is meant to offer information and awareness and is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. In this episode, we are chatting with Coretta Ray Daniel. She is a resident of Cleveland, Ohio, a wife, a full-time mom of 16-month-old Charles Jr. and four-month-old Zaria. She holds a license in social work and will be pursuing her master's in clinical mental health this fall. With the birth of her son, she suffered and overcame postpartum depression and then discovered her passion to help other minority women in her community to find the support that she had longed for. She developed To Be Nurtured in April 2016, and that is a growing organization that seeks to build partnerships with others who desire to raise awareness of maternal mental health issues among the underserved and underrepresented populations. She believes that motherhood should not be done alone. In this episode, she's going to share a bit about her personal experience and things that she went through as a new mother and the things that impacted her and maybe contributed to her postpartum depression. And then she's also going to talk about what she sees in her community and things that she's really passionate about fixing and helping with. And I hope you guys can hear all the passion and compassion that she has. It's sort of infectious. She has a really amazing drive to get resources and support to the moms who really need it. I'm excited to know Coretta and know about her passion and compassion and excited for you guys to hear from her. So let's meet Coretta. Hi, Coretta. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I am so grateful. So, so grateful. Well, I'm so happy that, you know, like social media and the internet is an amazing place because that's where I technically met you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you were very gracious to agree to come on and talk a little bit about your story and the work that you're doing. And so I'm happy for everyone to hear about all of that. So I guess you can start with wherever you're comfortable. Tell us your story. Well, I gave birth to my son in February... 2016. He was born via C-section at one of our big name hospitals here in Cleveland, Ohio. 
and I mean, I already had like my fears and my uncertainties about becoming a mom because he was unplanned, but we loved mm-hmm. him all the same, my husband and I. And, you know, my birthing experience wasn't that pleasant. My postpartum recovery at the hospital wasn't all of that pleasant. And I'm sure we'll maybe get more into that later in the view. But when I got home, it, it was pretty blissful. You know, I felt excited. I still didn't feel like super connected to my son. It wasn't like, oh, I'm so in love. Right. And I think that was just not really hitting me yet, you know, because mm-hmm. the same thing happened with my second child. It just takes me a while. Yeah. My husband always says, like, you're so late with stuff. <laughs> and I am. I'm like the last okay. one to laugh in the crowd. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, my husband worked two jobs. He worked from about 6 a.m. to about 3.30 in the afternoon, Monday through Friday. And then Monday through Saturday, he worked a part-time evening job. So sometimes he wouldn't get home until about 10, 11 o'clock at night. Wow. So for the most part, and we don't have a big family. You know, we don't have a lot of siblings. I'm an only child. He has two brothers. So, you know, the guys aren't really as interested in doing none <laughs> of the nurture and stuff. And then there's our mom. You know, both of us don't have our dads around. And they both work full time. They work full time. And our grandparents work full time. So just to kind of paint that picture that for the most part, it was me. It was me yeah. and baby. All right. day, just about 24-7. And I was exclusively breastfeeding. So in the middle of the night, it was me getting up, you know. And then with my husband working so much, I felt guilty about saying, hey, can you get him this time? You know, because he had to be right. up so early in the morning. So I would say the first two weeks were fine. I mean... The little guy was even kind of on the sleeping schedule, you know. He slept most of the night, and he woke up every two hours to see. And during the day, he was he was content for the most part. But around the time when he started becoming more alert, like around three, four weeks, he got colicky. And just between that and just never having any respite from any of it, I think that's when postpartum depression started to set in. Yeah. It went from just baby blues, crying from frustration to, I mean, I would feel like literally scared Hmm. to be alone when my husband would get up to get ready for work the next day. Yeah. It was almost like I felt like my chest caving in, my throat tightening, feeling like I was going to throw up, my breathing increase like I'm just sitting here with my eyes closed like remembering no no yeah the physical reactions and you know I don't know I remember just him crying for hours straight and at the time I didn't have much education on food that could make him gassy from me breastfeeding Mm -hmm. you know Uh right right I didn't know to pay attention to any of that stuff and I think one day I was so tired I drank a Red Bull and, you know, that stuff is packed with caffeine. Right. And he had a reaction to it. Didn't realize that that's what it was until afterwards. But he cried okay. for seven hours straight one day. Oh, my and gosh. I, Poor. yeah, because he was I mean, hyped up off, off of caffeine. You know, he was having a horrible reaction to the right. caffeine. And So I mean, both just, of you are, like, experiencing this. Like, you're so tired yeah. and he's... Uh, you're just trying yeah. to cope and get through. I'm just trying to cope and get through. Don't know when my husband's coming home. And he was a truck driver. So it's not like he was 15 minutes away. and He can get to me at any moment. It was like 
he would be two hours away yeah Columbus somewhere and I would have mm-hmm. to wait for him to get back in Cleveland so mm-hmm. I mean it was like there was nothing that he could do like even yeah. if I wanted him to you know and I just remember like the scariest thought you know when they tell when you get ready to leave the hospital they say to you if you feel like hurting yourself or your child give us a call and it's mm-hmm. so surface it's so yeah. like you know it's not really you know, hey, you know, people go through this, other people go through this, other people right. experience these feelings. And if you feel this way, they don't put a name on it. They don't say postpartum right. depression. They mm-hmm. just say, if you're feeling, endless, it's like, come on, as if those are the only things that are associated with postpartum depression. And it's not. <laughs> right. That's like the worst of it, right? It's right. so many yeah. other things that come before that. The mm-hmm. anxiety attacks. I remember, oh, I feel so bad now, but I remember running red lights because mm. I just didn't want to stop the car because mm-hmm. when you stop the car, the baby cries. We know that, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> you drive the light, as long as the lights are green, everything's fine. Right. But as soon as the lights would turn red, I mean, I would run the red lights because I just could not deal with the crying. I yeah. would hear it even when he wasn't crying. It was just, mm-hmm. it haunted me. I just remember like, envisioning myself doing very harmful things to my baby doing very harmful things to myself and I would literally have to go into a bathroom mm-hmm. and just let him cry in his room for a minute so that I could separate myself from him so he right. didn't get hurt and you know and I'm telling my husband this stuff and he's like I remember one day he just took off of work because he was like I am not leaving you with a kid by yourself you know uh-huh. but right. even in that moment it was to protect him and not me so even mm-hmm. if that triggered me even more because I'm like, sure. who cares about me? <laughs> you know, um, like I felt so alone. Uh, yeah. This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go. And that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. But then I started talking about it to people, like people that I was close to, that I could trust. I just became very vulnerable. Can I ask how long that went on before you started talking to people? I would say maybe a couple of weeks because it just got too scary. It was like, Uh hey, I'm already here by myself. I have to say something, you know? And, you know, when they say that phrase, like nap, when the baby nap, it was like Mm -hmm. I wanted to, but my thoughts were literally raised. I could not silence my mind. It was like no rest. Like there was no rest. Like the anxiety was horrible, you know? So I just started opening up to friends. And when I did that, they were like, oh, yeah, I felt that way before. It's like, what? You felt Uh that way before? (laughs) You know, I mean, I felt less judge and I felt like I could be more open but then at the same time I was like you didn't tell me this part like I remember right. when you had <laughs> your baby you didn't right you yeah. didn't say anything about this you know and it was like they were like well I didn't know what it was at the time until you told me you know because oh. I started doing I'm a researcher I'm like the person that you know if I'm riding past the restaurant I never saw before I'm googling it like hold on <laughs> right. this restaurant you know <laughs> right. so right. when I want to know more information my husband calls me his human google Like, (laughs) if I want to know something, I will look it up, you know. So I research what is going on with me. What is, Mm -hmm. because, you know, they just say baby blues. And it's way more than baby blues. It's so much more than that. So, I mean, you know. So you could tell that something wasn't right. Yeah. uh, Feeling right. But obviously, if you don't know what it is, you don't know what it is. Exactly. Yeah. So I started doing my research and lo and behold, I saw like this, you know, how they have men floating all around like mm-hmm. social media now and stuff. And it, it was postpartum depression and it just cracked every single thing that I had been through. Like wow. inability to cope, you know, extreme sadness, intense sadness, anxiety, racing thoughts, loss of appetite or overeating and that idea like I ate my way through postpartum depression I gained so much weight everybody's like Mm -hmm. you're gonna lose so much weight from breastfeeding no No. (laughs) you know so that didn't happen to me just everything had described everything I was just I felt so understood in that moment I was like I am not by myself but then part of me still felt by myself because as I looked on YouTube there were only like white women who mm-hmm. were open about it. I maybe found like mm-hmm. one or two videos of, you know, so then even then part of me felt like, oh, well, maybe it's just them that go through this. Like, and then I felt mm-hmm. weaker, so to oh, speak. You know what gosh. I mean? Because I felt yes. like nobody identified with me. It was just like, okay. But the more that I talking to those around me, other moms really helped um, because mm-hmm. when I told them stuff and they were like, yeah, me too. I was like, oh. Mm -hmm. okay so that made me feel good it made me feel like I'm not crazy I'm not and then my husband kind of looked at me like I was crazy the first few weeks because he's like Mm -hmm. is it that serious you know but we don't talk about mental health issues first of all you know what I mean in his family Mm -hmm. he's not used to hearing about it Mm -hmm. I have some family members who suffer from schizophrenia bipolar disorder so I'm used to hearing about mental health issues but he wasn't. So for him, it was right. like he had to learn empathy. He had to learn that this was mm. a real thing and it wasn't just right. me not being able to deal with right. something. You know, I remember he even told yeah. me once, like, you're just weak and that oh. hurts so bad. And I forgive him, obviously, now because I had to realize that 
talking about what he doesn't know. When you don't know something, you create your own perspective. So. Right. That's so true. And, you know, I hear that so often from the moms that I meet with, too, is that, like, if the family members don't know about it, they just think it's like some weakness that the person who's suffering has. But it's really, like, hard to try and figure out how you're feeling and then have to explain it to somebody else when you don't even have the words for it. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. So you went through, how long do you think you were experiencing all of this before you started to either get help or feel better? I would say probably luckily for me, and I only say luckily because I know women who've gone through it for like their child's first whole year of life or longer. Mm-hmm. But for me, it lasted probably about six to eight weeks before I started feeling better. Okay. And how do you think you did start to feel better? Was it primarily from hearing that you weren't alone? or I think it was a combination of my counseling that I received from my mentor. She's also like a spiritual advisor. And I think for me, what was huge was self-awareness and just Mm. being educated on what exactly was happening with me. I think I'm more triggered by things when I don't understand them. You know, it, it makes it 10 times worse. If I don't understand what's going on, everything is, you know, it gets inflamed pretty quickly. Yeah. And then after that, like while I was in the process of getting better, I was like, I have to do something about this. So I became very indignant and diligent about figuring out how I could help other people to make sure they did not feel alone in the Mm. way that I felt alone. You know what I mean? So I had a dialogue with God and I was like, something has to come out of this. And then I woke up one morning and was like, okay, I have something to do. There's something that I have to do, you know? And for me, that's my place of empowerment. That's where healing always begins for me is oh, when I'm helping wow. other people. That's amazing. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that empowering others is part of your healing. That's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what does that look like? What was that thing that you woke up and decided to do? It has transformed so much over time. The more that I learn, the more that I learn what is actually available out there and what isn't available. I'm like, oh, okay, it's changing now. Now I'm going to do this. But Mm. still in the same, like I know I definitely need to bring awareness to my community. I live in a suburb of Cleveland as of right now, but I was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. And our county, Cuyahoga County, we're number one for infant mortality in the state and probably like I think I don't want to be wrong about this, but I think it's like number three in the nation for infant mortality. Yes. Um, For per 1000 live births, our county has 15 deaths of black babies before their first birthday. And I think the national average is about five. Oh, my gosh. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. And so we are losing our black babies at three times the rate of our white counterparts also here in Calgary County. I mean, there is a crisis on our babies, period, altogether. But it just speaks to the disparity in our maternal health care system. It really does. And so with that being said, there are so many risk factors to why that's happening. Premature births, the Mm -hmm. use of drugs and alcohol. But me, I want to figure out what are the risk factors of the risk factors. What makes a woman 
choose to use drugs you know what's happening why she can't carry her baby to term and there are so many things to explain that you know disparities in health care disparities in the education that we receive disparities mm-hmm. in employment so which causes stress which causes premature birth you know so mm-hmm. it's huge right now and for me I think that that's my piece my piece is the postpartum part yeah. regarding the support that we receive after we have our children and including postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, mood disorders, and all of that stuff, there's not a lot of people talking about that here. It's not a lot. The more that I look, I'm like, people are like, what is that? Or mm-hmm. it's like, oh, yeah, I think I had that. Well, what did you do mm-hmm. if you think you had that? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So that that's all. It goes as far as a thought. And then that's it. We're not taking this seriously. And already in the Black community, we don't take mental health care serious enough. I've even watched people from my own culture use a mental health issue as a reason to, you know, get public assistance. And it's just not taken serious enough until we just had a tragedy here where a gentleman, um, (laughs) sorry, it's like making me emotional talking about it. A gentleman, he killed a older gentleman on Facebook Live. And uh, he was a mental health professional. What? Um, yeah. <laughs> it's so sad. And I know so many people connected to this situation. So I just have them in mind right now. But and one of the things that he said in his video before he killed the gentleman on Facebook Live was he was talking on the phone to a family member. And he said, I tried to get help. I tried to let y'all know that I had a problem. And no one listened. Oh, God. So one of the things that was floating all around Facebook from my community, people were saying, when are we going to take mental health seriously? We don't. We don't. You know, (laughs) I never thought that I would be the mom who would understand the mother who Mm -hmm. could put her child in the microwave. You know, you see stories like that in the news and you're like, oh my God, you're such a horrible person. I would never do that. But (laughs) after fighting with postpartum depression, I understand that mom now. I have a right. strong sense of compassion on that mom, that mom who drowned her children in the bathtub, who lost her battle right. mentally with whatever it was that she was going through. Right. And there's always some sort of story where she's like, I tried to tell people I needed help. Or there was like the text messages that went out of a right. girlfriend who was like, you know, I'm feeling crazy. And she ended up smothering her one year old child, you know. And people just said, oh, you just need to get it together. You're all right. You're fine. You know, you just want attention or something like that. And it's like, you have to take these cries for help seriously. Because I have a voice. I know how to communicate my needs Mm -hmm. and desires. I know how to say, hey, listen to me. I'm dead serious. I need help. You know, but some people just, they don't know how. And partially they don't understand it, but they don't know how to make it known that they are serious, like reaching out and not knowing what's going to happen to them. I mean, we face so much, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, you're talking about stigma. You're talking about not being able to potentially trust up healthcare providers or trust the system on some level. And when you do reach out for help, you know, what's going to happen? That's taking a risk sometimes. Yeah, I just saw an article in the news where a mom, she dropped her children off at a police station. And she said, I feel like I'm going to kill one of them. 
and they arrested right. her. Right. They arrested her and then they sent her back home the next day and released her children into her care. Now, of course, we're only getting the stuff that we see in the article. But my question sure. is, where's her help? <laughs> what else did yeah. they do? You know? Right, exactly. I think you raised such a necessary and important point. Is, and just like you were saying before, what are the risk factors of the risk factors? It's not just about why do people do this. It's about what led them to be in the mm-hmm. situation to do that. And uh, exactly. so the help that you're looking to provide, it sounds like to prevent those sorts of things or to at least help and support moms exactly. and families in your area. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, well, I mean, with those statistics that you were saying before, the mortality, you're really trying to understand why, how that's happening and what you can do about it. Well, the thing is, it led me to look up who's already doing something. Number one, so the state has given a significant amount of funding to distribute to people who want to start programs or initiatives to address some of these issues with infant mortality. Another one of the risk factors is poor sleep practices. So, for instance, right now we have like these baby boxes Mm -hmm. that are going out to mom so that they can have somewhere safe for their children to sleep. So initially what I'm trying, the point that I'm trying to make as far as bringing up that issue is that that there is a crisis in our community and a disparity in regards to not receiving the proper maternal support. Right. In prenatal or in postpartum. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's an issue. Now, also what I found is there's not really anyone addressing the mental health part of that in our community specifically. Of course, we have support groups, but they aren't targeted to our community, to African-Americans, to minorities. I would even go as far as to say, I mean, my son, his pediatrician, when I did go to his four-month checkup, I decided to be, I guess, as you would say, I don't know, just kind of put myself out there and sacrifice myself, so to speak. I let her know that I felt like I was suffering from postpartum depression, even though at that point I had been, I would say, pretty much for the most part healed. But I wanted to see what the process looked like. Um, (laughs) You're an investigator. I was investigating, but I I wouldn't recommend this to anyone. (laughs) Just don't do it, you know. But I went and and she, she was a white doctor and we were at a hospital center that was in a majority white community in the suburb of Cleveland and I told her and her response to me was well it seems like you might need medication that was it that was was the extent of our conversation she didn't ask me do I have any resources is there anyone that you know what am I feeling you know there was nothing else but you might want to see a therapist because you might need medication Mm -hmm. that was it and our appointment was over. Wow. Mind you, right. she's the one who's supposed to, which I don't understand this. I don't understand why the pediatricians are the ones doing the screening for the postpartum. I think that's another thing that needs to be addressed. So also my desire is <laughs> to, I don't know, even maybe provide some training for our medical professionals, some cultural awareness, some cultural sensitivity training. Please do. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Please do. <laughs> I don't even know what that looks like, Dr. Cat. I just yeah. know that it's needed. 
a lot of oh, the, sure. the thing yes. about me, a lot of my drive is passionate based right now. But uh, trust me, I am hitting the pavement. I am looking for answers. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. I fully believe you. I love your passion. It's, <laughs> it's inspiring. Think, and yeah, because when you know, I was taking a chance telling this medical professional that you know, so like I. At least to me, I did because I didn't know what that was going to look like. Sure, yeah, you know, right. Because the question was asked, "Have you ever felt like hurting yourself for your baby?" And I put yes, and that was her response. That was it. That was it. Oh, <sighs> yeah. I mean, it. we have a lot of work to do, yeah, and it, do. it takes like <laughs> it takes all of us, and it takes people like you who have your feet on the ground and like in your neighborhood, literally, and can see where all the holes are. And I love that you just kind of like investigated that just to see what would happen. But yeah. I mean, it highlights the need, and it highlights just those providers generally aren't trained essentially. Yeah. And they don't get the information and because they don't know where oftentimes because they don't know where to send people if there is a problem, sometimes they don't even ask. Yeah. And then the thing, too, I mean, I could already sense with a lot of the people that I encounter as far as medical professionals. I mean, because mm-hmm. this doctor and I'm not even holding it against her. I hold it against the place where she hired. Honestly, you know, mm-hmm. when you have people out here working with such a sensitive population or p- people from different backgrounds, you have to make sure that you are educating them on things because she never even looked me in the eye when we were at appointments, you know, and I'm not going to go as far as to call her racist because I know me. I've been a service professional and at a social service agency and just have felt uncomfortable from the beginning with Mm -hmm. a certain group of people that I was working with, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's just barriers. And when you feel that there are already barriers, walls go up. And it may be sure. unintentional, you know, but we have to figure out a way to bring those walls down, crashing down, because mm-hmm. people are suffering because right. of it. People are being hurt unintentionally at times mm-hmm. because we have these walls that are so unnecessary. And it's just because we aren't educating ourselves. We aren't taking right. the proper time to right. do our research. Or to just open up and be honest. Hey, I never worked with a black family before. What's the best way that you think that I can help you? A person Mm -hmm. like me really appreciates that honesty. Uh You know what I mean? Right. So in the work that you're doing, you developed To Be Nurtured. Yes. And that organization is looking to do some of this work is to like get the training out there. That's my Uh desire. You know, I know I let you know. But I plan on going back to school to get my master's in clinical mental health counseling. To be a therapist, I would like to provide therapy for women in my community who have some of these perinatal mood disorders. And also, my desire is to bring this awareness. And whoever, I know Postpartum Support International, they are doing great work to try to reach some, and then the Perinatal Mental Health Alliance for Women of Color, they're doing great work at trying to reach some of these underserved and underrepresented populations. So one thing I don't want to do is reinvent a wheel. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. 
you get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. So if I can just Cleveland's name in their face, say, (laughs) hey, how can we get Uh what you do here? (laughs) You know, even if I I have to be the representative for that, I will. You know what I mean? I I know you will. I can hear it. I love it. (laughs) I just want to be able to say, I don't want a woman to not know what Mm -hmm. she's going through. Because another thing is too, women of color, I think because most times black women, especially I have to speak for only because that's when I am, I'm black. And I know more about some of the trenches that we see and what we face, especially in the inner city of Cleveland, we're already oppressed. So a lot of the times what we're dealing with after we have a child, it goes mad. I wouldn't mm. think postpartum depression right off the bat, you know? I'm thinking, oh, just, you know, I'm stressed like every other day. Mm. I'm frustrated like every other day. This isn't the first time I felt like hurting myself because mm-hmm. life got so overwhelmed. So what do you do for that person? You know mm. what I mean? So yes, to be nurture, right now we have a private support group online for moms. And it's for any mom. We're not just closed off to you know it's not like blacks only no it's not like that we just literally for any mom who is just seeking a place where she can be vulnerable honest and open that mothering is not easy being a mom whether you're single married whether you have a slew of support (laughs) or no support at all being a mom is not those transitions from infancy to toddlerhood that's a transition from toddlerhood to elementary schooler that's a transition to adolescent to teenager we want every mom to feel like she is not alone you know so we have that that's Facebook awesome. group where we just post funny stuff where we post video oftentimes it's me getting on there like oh y'all today was hard okay <laughs> right I, I need to play but that's, that's real <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we do like mom nights out like one time we just went bowling because sometimes you just need to step away you know yeah. so we yeah. went bowling we have a mom and me paint night coming up um, nice. in July. Yeah, so we are going to be 
painting with our little ones at a local park. So just a way, because I don't know if you've ever heard of MOP, Mothers yeah. and Preschoolers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I went to a MOP meeting while I was going through postpartum depression just mm-hmm. to try to connect with other moms and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But even there, and I loved every person that I met. They were so awesome. Still in friends with one or two of the women. But yeah. I was one of the only black women in the room. So that's another thing. We don't connect on a community level. Mm. And that's a huge problem, too. I believe that's a risk factor of postpartum depression, that isolation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you just need sometimes. And like I said before, my healing process started when I just start talking to people. When I start mm-hmm. hanging around other people who knew where I was coming from, <laughs> you know, yeah, and you have two kids, right? Yes, and and two and babies. <laughs> two babies, and you did not experience postpartum depression with the second one. No, correct? I did not. I did so, it. what do you think the difference was for you? Was it having support? What happened? Mm-hmm. It made that experience easier. One having support, two being educated mm-hmm. on the risk factors of postpartum depression, and just knowing what it was. Like I said, mm-hmm. awareness is huge for me. Right, and then I honestly believe. I changed doctors, I changed hospitals, and I took control of my birth experience. Hmm. I did. I educated myself. Yeah, because I had a C-section with my first one. And I would go as far as to say that that C-section was, I was forced into it. And Mm. the more research that I did, it was not medically necessary. The care that I received in the hospital was very traumatic for me. So sorry. Yeah, I could cry just thinking about it. I think I would say I think too a lot of my postpartum depression. I believe it was now that I know more. I believe it was coupled with a little PTSD mm-hmm. because even now, like I could just drop tears thinking about my birthing experience with right. my son. But the second time I said no, I knew that I could say no to some things. I Good knew. I knew about a birth plan. There's an awesome, awesome, awesome organization. The executive director is now a mentor of mine. Her name is Kristen Farmer, and she, I have to give credit to her. She's going to listen to this podcast. I know she is. And <laughs> Hi, she's, <Kristen>. the <laughs> she's the executive director and founder of, I could cry thinking about her, of Birthing Beautiful Community. Aww. Um, she developed a awesome organization with a community. She trains african-american doulas and Mm. sends them out to some of these at-risk communities to provide doula support for women of color oh my gosh that's amazing amazing they have done about 70 something births kristen don't beat me up if i got this wrong (laughs) and they have (laughs) a hundred percent success rate no. The women who have been through their organization, oh like, my gosh, they have not lost a child, and they work with some of these communities. Because I didn't tell you this, but like there are some neighborhoods within the city of Cleveland who have an even higher infant mortality rate of what? like twenty-one to twenty-nine no. deaths per one thousand births no, of black no. babies before their first birthday. So she's working with some of those communities, and she is at the center of it and I just love her and she was my doula was my second daughter and I am so grateful for her and the work that she does because she empowered me she encouraged Mm -hmm. me she Mm -hmm. educated me on what I could because a lot of the times we don't know what we could say no to when we walk into these hospitals and these doctors tell us stuff as if it's a fact and not an option 
Right. Yes. And I learned so, that I had options. <laughs> I almost said a curse word. But <laughs> me too. Me too. <laughs> I learned that I had options. You will not cut me open. You will not tell me that I have to get a C-section because I had one with my previous child. It's mm-hmm. not true. I have women who have had repeat C-section after repeat C-section because they were told that they had to. Right. And the only reason that I had one the first time was because I stopped dilating after six centimeters. Well, yeah, you had me on my back the entire time. You didn't let me walk around (laughs) when I asked you to. Right. You know, so awesome work. And I gave birth to my Zaria. I love her so much. I gave birth to her naturally, vaginally. I did get an epidural, but I'm just excited about that because when I had the doctors tell me, I didn't think we were going to be able to do it. Wow. So with you, your energy, your passion, your story, your experience, your drive, your just, I can just hear it and feel it how much passion you have (laughs) for this. And I'm so excited that like, we need you. Yes. You are needed. And I'm really, really happy to have your voice in this world. It's necessary. Yeah. So for everybody who's listening and wants to connect with Coretta, I'm going to put all of your information for people to connect with you on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter in the show notes. And I'll also include the information for, you said Kristen? Yeah. I'll include her information too so people can look up that as well. And yeah, I'm excited to see where you go because this is, I think, just the beginning. Thank you so much. I am so grateful. I am so, so grateful. Thank you so much, Dr. Kat. You're welcome. Thanks for being on with us and sharing your story. Thank you. Once again, I want to thank Coretta for telling us about her personal story and bringing all of her compassion and supporting maternal mental health in her area of Ohio. And if you guys want to connect with her, she's on Facebook at Coretta Ray Daniel on Instagram at Coretta.r.daniel, and Twitter, Coretta R. Daniel. If you guys want to connect with her and follow up, please find her there. And if you'd like to connect with me and join our Mom and Mind Connection Facebook group, please do that. And in that forum, we talk about episodes, and we can take the conversations that we've started here on the podcast a little bit further in the Facebook group. And certainly, if you're looking for resources, it's also a great place to come. And we'd love to have you. So until next time, take care, guys. Thank you for joining us today. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, help is available. Please look for resources for help at momandmind.com. Also, please subscribe and share this podcast. Together, we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Thank you for being a part of the Mom and Mind community. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, 
tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.